This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Moby. So nice to talk to you. This is uh, Marty from uh, WXRT in Chicago. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing quite well. You know, I was thinking about the last time that uh, that we chatted, that we were together in, in, a, in a recording type situation. And you may remember this. Uh, it was at the old WXRT building that was uh, abandoned pretty much because we had moved out of the building and it was you and me and Joe Shanahan from uh, Metro. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, I, I I had such a, I'm sure you did as well, but like such a strange love for that building. Uh, yes, that, that building is near and dear to uh, to my heart for sure. And you said something that uh, that day that I thought was pretty cool while we were in that studio and you brought uh, your musicians who were touring with you at the time, and we did a great recording of uh, of them performing and you performing live. But we had only a few microphones, so we, we set it up really old school style. But you said about that room that you could smell the studio. The studio had a very unique smell of a studio, and we didn't really follow up on that. And, and ever since then, I've been thinking, like, what does a studio smell like? What what did you mean by that? Do you Can you recall... Yeah, you know, it's funny, um, and I know anyone listening might think that that's either nonsense or just pathological and weird, like who goes around smelling equipment, um, but especially older equipment, because uh, I buy a lot of used equipment on eBay, and when you open up these boxes, before you even see the equipment, you can kind of smell like the circuitry and the wood and sometimes the Bakelite, which is sort of like a precursor to plastic. And there's such a distinct pheromone to old equipment. And that original building, I mean, of course, contributed to by all the vinyl and the tape and, you know, the years of coffee and probably at some point a lot of cigarettes, like just this overwhelming pheromone of studio <laughs> well yeah that's uh it's uh, certainly something missed it's not uh that was not well scrubbed we'll say <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for uh checking in with us and calling uh just before the release of your next album the album called everything was beautiful and nothing hurt it's coming out on march 2nd uh it's your 15th album and I was, I was taking a look at, uh, at you know, the, uh, the sequence of releases that you've had since the beginning. The last few years have been, like, incredibly prolific for you. You have, like, seven albums in the last nine years, four in the last two. You've really been, uh, been uh, you know, turning out a lot of really great material. Well, and I blame uh, sobriety <laughs> and just being a middle-aged guy with attachment issues. You know, because most people, most self-respecting musicians spend their time getting drunk and being hungover. But now that I'm sober, I don't do that. And also, because of attachment issues, I'm single for the most part, and it gives me so much time to work on music and other things as well. I guess also the fact that 
I guess it was around five or six years ago, I finally admitted to myself that I hate touring. So think of all the time that's been given back to me now that I don't tour, I'm not in a relationship, and I'm not blind drunk and hung over 50 <laughs> hours a week. <laughs> time on your hands, which is nice, and you're certainly putting it to good use. Um, this record is uh, really beautiful. It, uh, it, it's very, very intimate. And it, uh, it really connects uh, on an emotional level. I've listened through it three or four times. I've listened to it while I was working out. I've listened to it while I was driving in the car. And it, uh, it, it, fits, it fits all those different uh, sort of activities, I guess. But it really, I would, I would guess, and I haven't done it like this, uh, just sitting in a room by myself. But, man, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it really connects. Oh, well, that makes me happy to hear. I mean, it sort of begs the question, you know, as a middle-aged musician in 2018, you know, it's a question my manager asks me. He's like, why do I still make albums? You know, because mm -hmm. in the olden days, people bought albums, and nowadays most people who make albums, their goal is to sort of generate interest for their upcoming tour. But as we said, I, I don't tour, and I don't really expect too many people to ever buy the albums that I make. So I just, I love making them, because probably similar to you, I grew up obsessed with albums, you know, spending all my time in junior high school and high school and college just saving up money to buy albums and obsessing over albums. And so now, even though, you know, the market for albums barely exists, I still love putting them out into the world. Yeah, it's um, it, it works really well as a sequence of songs. I mean, it is it's a journey. You know, it's uh, it's it's been talked about as a trip hop album, and that there are certainly elements of that, but there's also R and B and gospel, and uh, yeah, it just uh, it just really takes you, which I think is a really cool well, thing. Yeah, um, so would this if you were touring, <laughs> would this be a difficult record to tour? I mean, whenever you make a record that's very studio-based or studio-centric, taking it out onto the road is challenging. Like trying to recreate what you were doing in a recording studio, especially because I have the weirdest collection of old equipment. You know, like a lot of the instruments on this record are old organs from the 60s mm. and old analog synths and drum machines and weird old tape delays. So it would be... It would definitely be challenging, and um, the, the thing that no musician wants to admit to, I would probably rely on a good Pro Tools rig, so I could sort of have playback while the real musicians played on top of the playback. Mm. Are you constantly writing uh, songs? Or let, let's add, okay, the, the question is like, what's your process? Which is always a weird question to ask, but it, uh, it, it, I, I have uh, a curiosity as to whether you have a collection of lyrics and then you have a collection of uh of tracks that you've recorded and you meld them together that way or do you write lyrics for specific songs uh the lyrics for me are always the last thing that i write and that's the only part of the process that for me is really painful not painful in an emotionally revealing way mm -hmm. painful in that i just don't really think i'm very good at writing lyrics and so i put it off until the the very, very, very end. And and then if I write lyrics that I'm not 100% proud of, 
when I'm singing them, I mumble or process them in a way so maybe people can't quite hear them, you know, because I'm sort of like hedging my bets if if I'm not 100% convinced that they're great. Hmm. Um, this record is, uh, is a, a sort of a departure from uh, your last album, which was more of a political album uh, and kind of a hardcore-ish sort of record. This one, uh, more uh, just feeling, emotion, uh, is it about the future? Is it about now? It's it's largely inspired by... And I don't want to sound too much like a self-involved grad student, um, <laughs> although I guess I do most of the time. But it's it's sort of inspired by this odd place where we are as a species in history. You know, because up until about 100 years ago, most of the problems affecting humans were problems outside of our control. And what makes the problems we're facing now so exasperating is they're problems that we created. Mm. You know, so in theory, and this is where the album title comes from, it's from a Kurt Vonnegut book, Slaughterhouse-Five. And in theory, paradise, we could create paradise tomorrow. Like if we all collectively, all seven and a half billion of us, woke up and decided to stop doing all the things we know are terrible, we would live in paradise. And it's just so frustrating that we keep doing these terrible things, even though we know that they're terrible. Mm. So it does end up being somewhat political because it seems like it's politics that keeps us away from doing things that would really benefit us as a species, right? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. And then underpinning that is almost evolution. Mm. Um and for the few people who are listening who are creationists, I'm sorry, but I actually believe that the Earth is five <laughs> or six billion years old and that evolution is real science. Um, but, you know, evolution, I, I was watching this documentary on the BBC uh, about a watering hole in Africa, and it was during a drought, so all the animals had come to this dirty, filthy watering hole, and most of the animals were really dangerous, like hippos and alligators and lions and cheetahs and and in the middle of it were these tiny little monkeys desperate for water and like desperate to not get eaten and i was watching this documentary and i suddenly thought like oh those are our ancestors like Mm. hungry and scared and afraid of being eaten and even though we now essentially control the world and we have all this technology we're still not too far from those scared monkeys afraid of being eaten yeah pretty much when you come right down to it, that's what we are. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the songs on, on the album. Uh, the first song that we received and the one that we've been playing on XRT is uh, a new version of Motherless Child, which is a song that goes way back. It goes way back in time, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm assuming it's at least a couple of hundred years old. Um, and my first real exposure to it, there's a good story attached to it. Um, I was having dinner with Lou Reed and Laurie Anderson, Hmm. and we were joined by a choreographer named Bill T. Jones. And Bill is, you know, a very elegant, older African-American man. And in the middle of dinner, he stood up and started singing Motherless Child and doing this impromptu choreography. And it was really touching, like really beautiful. 
And I just fell in love with this piece of music then, and then that's why I tried to write this song around it. Wow, yeah. It's been recorded by, by a number of people over the years. The one I think that many people are familiar with was a Richie Haven's version at Woodstock that became like a big part of that movie and a big part of that album and really gave him a, a big boost in his career into the 70s. And he did a really impassioned version of it. Yours is more of a down-tempo thing, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that Richie Haven's version somehow seeped into my DNA because my mom was a huge Richie Havens fan. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, I remember growing up, she was also a hippie, so I grew up hearing, you know, that like a four album Woodstock five album. I mean, I remember like oh, yeah. multiple, multiple album Woodstock recordings. And so I grew up hearing a lot of Richie Havens, and now you've reminded me I need to go back and listen to his version. <laughs> well, that's cool. Uh, it's always nice to go back and listen to records. Uh, I think we both do that a lot. I saw something, uh, just not to get too far off the point here, but uh, you're you're selling a lot of your uh, your records and your equipment. Is that uh, was that true? Yes, yeah, so I'm sure. selling 99% of my vinyl and 99% of my equipment, with 100% of the profits going to the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Um, I mean, basically, I just realized. I have too much stuff, and I never use it. Mm. And so I thought, why not turn this stuff into money that I could give to an organization I work with, and it's everyone benefits. Like, I you know, have less stuff, so less stuff to worry about. This organization hopefully gets a decent amount of money, and then, like, maybe the vinyl and the equipment actually goes out into the world and finds a good home and finds people who will really take care of it. Mm. Well, that's kind of cool. That's great. And uh, and how will people be able to buy that? How, how are you selling it? I think we're going to do it with an, uh, a company in Chicago called Reverb.com. Oh, great. Um, and they do these auctions. Like, they just did one with Billy Joe from Green Day. Uh, they did one with Wilco. Um, I think this might be the first one they're doing that's, at least on my end, completely philanthropic. Mm. But... Uh, you know, that's what they do is they do these, you know, online sales. So I have a, I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because I haven't signed a contract with them, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're going to be the ones taking care of it. Oh, good. Well, we only have a couple minutes here left, and uh, I, I just wanted to say that the album, uh, again, listening to it is such a great trip because it's uplifting. It's also very uh, uh, thought-provoking at the same time, and it has such a nice groove all the way through. What is it that you would like people to get out of this album? of this collection of music? Well, hmm. I mean, I, I ideally would hope it would be the same thing that I get when I listen to other people's albums, which is, you know, a sense of connectedness mm -hmm. um, and a sense of being less alone. Hmm. You know, I mean, I think that's the subtext to, you know, an album that you love or a book that you love is that, you know, there's so many things in our lives that alienate us from one another that I think it's nice to spend time with art that makes you feel less alienated. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's a great goal, and, uh, and I think that you can get that out of the album. It comes out March 2nd. It's called Everything Was Beautiful and Nothing Hurt. I wish I could say that we'll see you when you come to Chicago to play these songs live. <laughs> but um, I mean, I might tour again at some point in my mm -hmm. life, but... Uh, I mean, the, the entire tour for this album is three shows in L.A. and two shows in New York. Um, 
at really tiny venues because I just don't want to do this, that that like big sort of greatest hit circuit sure. anymore. I'd much sure. rather stay home and you know go hiking and see friends. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we all could say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, all the best, and thank you so much for calling. And uh, you know, you've always got a place here on XRT, so we'll uh, we'll see you at some point, I guess. Yeah, thanks. It was really nice talking to you again. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.